0: One of my friends on Facebook posted something this week, and I wonder if you can relate to the sentiment. He's expecting a baby along with his wife. It'll be their second baby. He said, two thoughts are on my mind today. The first one is, I can't wait to meet my new son whenever he decides to come on out. (laughs) They've been waiting. That's the first thing. He can't wait to meet his son. The second thing he said also, with the sickness of the world we live in, my heart groans for the return of Christ. How long until the reckoning? How many of you know that tug of war? There's these joys, these moments of, of extreme happiness that we encounter in this world. And there's also this desire for when Jesus comes back and fixes all that's broken. We've got another friend named Dan who's in ministry. He's been planting a church, just started about a year ago he said this, Ministry can be described as months or years of discouraged obedience, punctuated by a few moments of God's miraculous action that make it more than worth it. The best way to know if you're called to ministry is whether or not you quit in the prolonged middle. Perhaps this is why Paul tells Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. You ever feel that way as you take the good news of Jesus into the world sometimes there's long stretches where you're planting the seeds and you're not seeing what you'd like to see and then there's that moment where where someone receives someone is set free from an addiction someone is is propelled into a whole new chapter in their life and you say yeah it was worth the wait but it's this tug of war isn't it Jesus disciples knew about that tug of war Because ever since Jesus came, he had been preaching that the kingdom of God is near, right? And for those disciples, that brought some very specific pictures to their mind, as maybe it does for some of you. When you hear about the kingdom of God coming to earth, let me read some of what those disciples pictured in their minds. They they remember back to Daniel, where there's this prophecy that said, The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those prior kingdoms and bring them to an end. But it will itself endure forever. That's what they were looking forward to. Micah 5 said, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. He will stand and shepherd his flock, in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. They're waiting for this peaceful kingdom where the Messiah sits on his throne literally, and there is peace, and he shepherds them. And they look around, and what they see in Jesus' ministry at this time is while at the beginning popularity was high, It's now gone way down. The religious leaders hate him. They're jealous of him. They're threatened by him. And they're trying to kill him. And they look at their little group of disciples. They look at the promises of God's kingdom. And John MacArthur says this may be exactly how they felt. The disciples had given up everything to follow Jesus. But so far had little to show for it. They were a ragtag band with no money except for what they carried in a small box, and Judas stole from that. They depended on the support of others to supply their needs. As the Lord's ministry on earth wound down, so did their hopes that the promised kingdom they longed for would appear. Their perception of the kingdom as extremely small, weak, and obscure shaped all their thinking. They heard the grand promises and they looked at what was going on and said, how does this fit together? Maybe you can relate to that. I know at times I can. not So Jesus goes on to explain to them that his kingdom has an already here, but not yet aspect to it. In other words, it is here. He told the, the Pharisees in Luke chapter 17, they asked him when the kingdom was coming. He said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. What he's saying to them is the kingdom of God is where those who believe in God receive his commands and obey him. The kingdom of God is here when we do what we were put here to do, to trust him and follow him. That's the already aspect of it. But the not yet aspect that they were looking for, the the full completion of the kingdom is coming. But you guys are like the disciples, you're like me. All these facts can rattle around, but until we get a story put on them, if you're like me, it all seems sort of vague. So Jesus knows that, thankfully. He tells two short stories to give his disciples hope about the kingdom. And I think if we take them in this morning, they'll give you and I hope about the kingdom of God as well. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 13, and we'll start reading verse 18. Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Now every time I come across the mustard seed, I think about my dad i don't know if you guys have anyone like this in your life every time he sends a card whether it's a happy birthday card a christmas card he literally tapes a mustard seed in there and he puts one of the verses about a mustard seed faith of a mustard seed the kingdom is like a mustard seed so this is always fresh in our minds at our house you've probably seen a mustard seed just in case you haven't here's a picture In other Gospels where Jesus tells his story, it has him sharing that this is the smallest of the seeds. It is the smallest of the the common garden seeds. Yet, if you look at the next picture, check this out. (laughs) That's a a mustard plant grown to 10 or, or 15 feet tall. So obviously we know part of what Jesus is getting at is, Hey, disciples, I know it's small right now. Hey, church next door, I know you don't always see the fruit Of what you're doing. I know it seems small and maybe feels insignificant sometimes. But guess what? My kingdom grows. It's inevitable. It will grow to its complete form. How many of you know the song Shake It Off? I can't say I'm a raucous Taylor Swift fan, but you can't live in this world without coming across that song. You know, she speaks about some things that are inevitable in that song, right? What's she say? Player's going to play, 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 play. <laughs> Hater's going to hate, 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 right? Some of you, you want to get up and dance now. You, that tune is... I'm not going to sing it. Heartbreaker's going to break, break, break. Faker's going to fake, fake, fake. She's saying people who are this way are going to do these things. It's inevitable. And I think some of what Jesus is saying here is seeds going to grow, 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 grow. It's inevitable. His kingdom will grow. And it will grow to its complete form. That's a promise from Jesus to hold on to when we don't see it. It's interesting that he chooses a shrub like this, Right? I mean, of all the pictures he could have told his disciples, there actually was a place in the Old Testament where God's kingdom was referred to as a cedar. I mean, cedar, like, wow, a tall cedar in the forest. You think, that's majestic, man. That is awesome. Let's take a picture of that. Nobody takes pictures of shrubs. Nobody's like, whoa, look at that bush. You know, Jesus is, it's interesting, just the pictures that he uses. Why, why would he use this? Well, One reason I think is possible, while it's not majestic necessarily, the mustard plant spreads easily and readily. Check this out, what it said in the Encyclopedia Britannica. Mustard plants are easy and inexpensive to grow. They flourish on many different types of soil, suffer from unusually few insect pests or plant diseases, and tolerate extremes of weather. Without serious harm. It may not be the most majestic thing you'd look at, but boy, does it spread easily. In fact, some of the ancient writings talk about the problems of mustard growing too fast in their, in their growing areas. That's a great metaphor for the kingdom. It doesn't always look majestic right now. Sometimes it's very messy, and, I mean, <laughs> look at that thing. <laughs> looks like it needs a haircut. But guess what? There were also some very good things about mustard. I didn't know this until this week. Every time I think about the mustard plant, I think about hot dogs and how good mustard is on. In Ohio, we have this mustard called Stadium Mustard that was originated at the Cleveland Baseball Stadium. And it's so famous that it's actually been on a couple shuttle missions. The astronauts wanted to have some of this Stadium Mustard. So I, I love my mustard. I love a good hot dog. Some of you are going to go have a hot dog for lunch now. But there's a whole lot more to mustard that I didn't know. One of the things that I learned this week is that it's actually a cure for a lot of things. Did you know that? Marie, when you're hiking and they bring up the Dirty Dozen, now you can tell them the top ten of things mustard heals. Check this out. Certain forms of cancer can be prevented by mustard consumption. Asthma can be helped. It can help you lose weight, slow aging, relieve arthritis, lower cholesterol, stimulate hair growth. Somebody say an amen. Reduce constipation, fight skin infections, and improves immunity. There's just 10 of the health benefits of mustard in your diet. I never knew that, but you think about the kingdom of God. As we bring God's will to earth, as we not only lead others to Jesus Christ and salvation, but bring His peace and His joy and His wholeness into people's life, does it not have a a curing effect in our world? One commentator said this, Christianity has opposed social evils, it has produced many of the world's greatest scientists, it has promoted education, and in general, given rise to much that has comforted and benefited mankind. You look back in history, we have left a mark, and many times that mark is a mark of healing. Let's go back to our verse. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Luke is the only gospel that uses the word tree, of the other gospels use the word shrub, as we have shared. It's, the point is that it's large, but the birds hanging out in its branches, that would remind the Jews of something from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there were stories about Nebuchadnezzar's empire, and it was so great, it was referred to as a tree and it said the birds and the animals flocked into that tree and found shelter in it. It was a picture that his empire was so great many nations from around the world found shelter there and we know his empire was cut down but the point is people from many nations will find shelter in the kingdom of God. These disciples were about to learn that after Jesus ascended to heaven Many of the Jews locally rejected it, but as Paul especially started taking it around the world, and many of you are testament to it, other nations began to receive and find benefit in the kingdom of God. You and I ought to read that and say, amen, those are my birds up there, I'm one of them. I have found shelter in the kingdom of God. So what's this mean practically? Any of you ever heard of a guy named Count Zinzendorf? Back there? He was a guy that lived from 1700 to 1760. He was a student, and he grabbed five other students, and they formed this society called the Order of the Mustard Seed. And this society was so cool, they even came up with their own insignia. And on the insignia, it said, No man lives unto himself. And they had three priorities in the Order of the Mustard Seed. These were their three creeds. Number one, be kind to all people. Number two, seek their welfare. Number three, win them to Christ. Be kind to all people, seek their welfare, win them to Christ. You say, how do I live out this mustard seed idea? How do I help spread it? That's a great way to start. I saw this this week in a very tangible way that made my week. Some of you guys already saw it on Facebook. Facebook. This week I had lunch with a guy named Jim and Katrina right back here. Friday at Wendy's, we sat down. I was eating my spicy chicken sandwich, add cheese, add pickles. And Katrina introduces me to Jim. And, and I knew a little bit about Jim because Katrina had shared this. She had met him at the Senior Center in Chino Valley. They'd begun to hang out with the other seniors out there. She had cooked him some food from time to time gone out of her way to to get to know him and build a friendship and along the way I know because she told me she had asked him a couple times have you placed your trust in Jesus she'd asked him this several times and it got to a place where he and she wanted to have lunch with me at Wendy's to to talk about this very thing so so we got to Wendy's and and she introduces me and and we get to talking about that have you ever had a moment where you trusted in Jesus and he said I I can't recall that I have. And I said, well, tell me about your growing up a little bit. He said, I grew up in a church that didn't really teach the Bible. They mostly used other books. And and I never really heard what, what God had to say in his word. And no, I don't remember a time where I met Jesus. So Katrina and I began to share with him, what does it look like to place your trust in Jesus? That he died on the cross for you, Jim. That he rose again for you. That he wants to be your Savior. We shared my father-in-law's story with him. This is cool because you talk about how does the mustard spread. Sometimes it's through our stories. My father-in-law grew up in a church much like Jim did. The pastor just assumed everybody sitting there knew Jesus. Assumed they had a relationship with Jesus because they were in church. And so he never made an invitation. You need to make a choice. My father-in-law got into his teen years. He had never made that choice. And he got into the drug scene. And he says that one day he was walking down a street. He had been doing drugs. And the verse came to mind about narrow is the way that leads to life. And broad is the road that leads to destruction. And he felt as though he were walking towards fiery destruction. It was clear as day in his mind. And at that moment, he knew he needed to make a choice. And he made that choice. He said, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I need a relationship with you. I trust you. And From that point forward, he got baptized, raised a Christian family that my wife came out of. He's made a big impact in my own life. I shared that with Jim, mustard seed spreads, and Katrina asked him, Jim, is this a decision you'd like to make today? And right there in Wendy's, we all hold hands, and Jim prays to accept Christ as his Savior. <laughs> 72 years old. I wonder if anybody had given up on him. Maybe they shared with him 10, 20, 30 years ago. Ah, 72. And what's really cool, you talk about things growing. <laughs> Katrina told me that he couldn't read real well, but he wanted to read a Bible. So from the church here, we got him a gift. It was a, a DVD that has the whole Bible. It plays it in audio fashion and puts it on the screen. She called me later that day and said that he had listened to 35 chapters that afternoon. <laughs> He's going through Genesis. And she said he, he had enough begets. So and so begets so and so. So she told him to go to the New Testament. It's growing in him. It's growing in him. And, and that's the picture of the mustard seed. On Facebook, I shared it. And I love the comments. They're the amens and the hallelujahs. Best news all day. Some of my favorites. One of you put Jesus shows up everywhere, even at Wendy's. Somebody else put, it can happen anywhere. John 3.8 is what someone else wrote. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So yes, even at Wendy's. And you think of all the evens in your life. Even at my workplace, this could happen. Even on my street. Even with that friend. This could happen. And I've got to share something that's a backdrop of this, that God had been challenging me in. And this comes as a pastor. There's a bit of a confession in here. And just to show you one way that God convicted me. A, a couple weeks ago, probably two or three weeks ago, he laid it on my heart. It had been a while since I prayed regularly for people to be saved and for people to be baptized. It had been a while. I don't want to say just a couple days. I don't want to say just a couple weeks. It had probably been a few months since I had prayed regularly, intentionally for people to be saved. So two or three weeks ago, I took that to heart and said, God, I'm going to aim every morning to intentionally pray for you to bring new salvations and new baptisms. Nothing big, nothing fancy, but I'll tell you, since I started that, I've seen two baptisms and one salvation. And it had been a long time before that since I'd seen any in our close sphere. Why do I share that with you? One, to say God is waiting for us to ask. <laughs> Listen to what Jesus says in John 14. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. What's in my name mean? Does that just mean I make sure to close every prayer in Jesus' name, Amen. My boys do that good and fast at dinner time. In Jesus' name, amen. That's good that we do that. We're acknowledging that we pray through Jesus. But in Jesus' name means in His will. The things He wants. We ask God for those things that He wants. They will happen. We ask Him for people to be saved. They will be saved. We ask Him for people to be baptized. They will be baptized. Now, I'm not saying... It's necessarily, I pray for this person and there's any guarantee, this one person. But I'm speaking generally. He will do it. He will save people and he will baptize people and he'll allow us to be a part of it if we just ask him. There's the mustard seed. Now let's talk about yeast. Again he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now I've got to tell you, I've read this passage many times and it never struck me before how much flour they're talking about. Any of you ever mixed up 60 pounds of flour? <laughs> Larry has. <laughs> Larry feeds the homeless. <laughs> That's going to tie in later. That's beautiful. I'm glad you raised your hand. Sixty pounds of flour. So right at the get-go, we realize we're dealing with an amount of bread when this is cooked that's going to be way more than this one woman could ever use for herself or her family. It's going to bless many people, right? I also learned that historically in Galilee at this time, not everybody had their own little oven in their house. There were often community ovens where people bake not only for themselves, but for others in the village. That's most likely what Jesus had in mind as he told this story. This woman mixing yeast into 60 pounds of flour that's going to bless a whole lot more than just her. Some translations, instead of 60 pounds, that's the modern day, it's telling us how much it is. They say three measures of flour. That's how they, they said it back then. Amy Levine wrote a book called Short Stories Jesus Told. And she, she writes it from a Jewish perspective. And she said, when they heard three measures, if they knew the Old Testament, they would think of three specific places where that exact amount was brought up. You know where they were? One of them was when God came to Abraham and Sarah and said, you're going to have a child. And Sarah laughed, and Abraham told her to make up three measures worth of bread along with some other stuff. Another one was Hannah. You remember Hannah, another woman who had prayed for a child for years, had been ridiculed because she didn't have a child. When she finally had Samuel, she took him to the temple, and one of the things she took along was three measures to give to the temple. Gideon, small little Gideon from one of the smallest tribes in Israel, scared and afraid, God comes to him and says, you're going to lead my country to freedom against the enemy. And Gideon said, me? Me? One of the tests that Gideon did is he put three measures of food out there for the, the angel that had told him it was burned up by God. All of these stories, what do you see in common? Hopelessness from human speaking, right? Nothing. Abraham and Sarah had been promised a great nation and they hadn't had a child. You talk about feeling hopeless. Hannah mocked and ridiculed because she wasn't able to have a child Gideon afraid because he was so insignificant in his mind in each story you see that something came from nothing or very little and became something glorious Abraham and Sarah had a child that started a nation that would bless the world Hannah had Samuel who became the leader of his nation as a prophet Gideon set his country free all from very humble roots. You look at that, and again you come back to yeast. You look at yeast, and actually what this was, was actually like a sourdough starter, if you've ever made a starter. It looks kind of like this when you do Amish friendship bread. How many of you have done Amish friendship bread? I mean, you first get that bag, somebody hands that to you, you're like, what in the... What you just give me? Your garbage can full? <laughs> and it, I mean, it looks nasty. And it feels all goopy, and then even you open it, it smells a little nasty. But you know the story. You take that, those humble beginnings, and one day you leave it alone, a couple other days you mash it, squeeze it together, and one day you finally mix it in with the other ingredients. And one guy quoted it like this. If you were to ask a real life person who has made Amish friendship bread, you might hear something like this. It's a gloopy, unappetizing substance in a bag that you mash for, for ten days. But By the time you're done, you're baking the most heavenly bread in the world. Next picture. Now, if you weren't hungry before, and you've had this, you're hungry now. <laughs> it is absolutely delicious. That starter wasn't much to look at, but when it was mixed into the dough, man, something beautiful came out of it. And they said this in the same article, at the end of the ten days, you divide it into four portions, bake with one, and give the other three away. At the end of the day, Amish friendship bread is all about friendships and community. It's about connection. Make one for yourself, pass three on. It's got this potentially unending multiplying factor to it, right? And I think about that in light of what we're talking about with the kingdom. they said the friendship bread is all about friendships and community. It's about connection. What's the kingdom about? It's about connection with God. Restoration of a relationship that's been broken by sin. Connection with others as we unite in, in worship of Him. And as we bring others into the kingdom and build that relationship with them. Genesis 12.3, God told Abraham, All peoples on earth will be blessed through you we carry that torch today Jesus came from his bloodline we follow him we follow in his footsteps of taking that blessing to the world now something interesting that word mixed it's like a yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour the actual sense of the Greek word is hidden the Greek word was it in crypto like encryption you know, like a, a hidden meaning in a code, it would better say that a woman took and hid into about 60 pounds of flour. The, the picture here is that you and I, as we walk through this world, we don't have lights that shine on our head or, or badges that, that flash that say, I'm a follower of Jesus, right? You know, we don't automatically get a shiny halo that everybody looks and like, oh, there's one of those Jesus followers over there. In a lot of ways, our faith is is hidden in this world. And the the challenge here, just like the yeast is hidden and mixed into the dough, is that we take the relationship we have with Jesus Christ and mix it into the places we go in this world. Our workplace. Does our faith spread into our workplace? Our families, our neighborhoods. I could go on. It needs to be mixed in where we go. And you say, well, again, that's great, but can, can we flesh that out a little bit? I can. Marco and Angela are in the back there. I just moved here from Nevada. Welcome, guys. <laughs> we had connected on the phone before they moved here, and I met him once when he visited. You, you grew up here, right? Yeah, so now that they're back home. Make sure you welcome them this morning. I had a chance to have lunch with Marco this week. Marco shared his story of how he came to the Lord up in Nevada. And it struck me that his story reflects this, the the way we need to be mixed into the world, what an impact it can have. Listen to this. So said, I was working for the Boys and Girls Club of America. My co-worker's name was Scott Hesch. When I began working with him, I automatically knew that something was different about him in a good way. He was kind and generous and very punctual. He was the type of guy that you could rely on for anything. On top of all that, he always brought a certain joy to work that I was drawn to, the type of joy that made you wonder, what's with this guy? So one day after a couple of months of pondering this question, I finally asked him, where do you get all this joy and happiness from? He invited me to a Bible study, so I asked him if he was religious He said, no, and invited me once more to the Bible study. At the time, I was not seeking God whatsoever. I just thought I should go to be polite to him. So I go to this Bible study, and my mind was turned upside down. See, I grew up in a Catholic household where we are taught that we need to earn God's love. But this pastor was telling me that Jesus has already done the work for us. All I could think was, wow, Jesus has been right under my nose the whole time, and I didn't notice him. The pastor also said that God was our Father. Now, I know this phrase is used in the Catholic faith, but for some reason it never made sense until I heard it from him. I grew up without a father in my life. So this was the message that was given to me. Jesus Christ paid the debt that I owe, and he wants to have a personal relationship with me by allowing him to become my father. So I was listening to this message of hope, I realized this was the hole in my heart that was empty my entire life. Jesus was the remedy to all those other times in my life that I chased other things in order to fill that space. And that was the day I knew that I needed the forgiveness of Christ, wanted to follow Him for the rest of my life. How did that start? It started because Scott was mixing his faith in at the Boys and Girls Club. He was punctual. He was kind. He was full of joy. And it bothered Marco until he had to ask, what's with this guy? That's a challenge. It's like, man, could God use us that way at our workplaces? The way I act, the things I say, the way I treat people, to draw them in. It's like that yeast mixed in the dough. Both of them, obviously, small beginnings, big finish. Blessings to many. I want to close with a quote from Amy Levine. He said, perhaps the parable tells us that despite all our images of golden slippers and harps and halos, the kingdom is present at the communal oven of a Galilean village when everyone has enough to eat. Just close your eyes and process this. We said earlier you take part in the kingdom when you do what you were put here to do let's make that practical what if God's kingdom came to your mouth this week and affected the way you speak the things you say what if his kingdom came to our eyes and affected the way that we see the world what if his kingdom came to your hands your feet what if it came to your home your neighborhood the homeless in our community what if the kingdom came to your workplace this week what if it came to your Facebook page what if it came to the unborn what if it came to our schools we take part in the kingdom when we do what we were put here to do. For the next few moments, I want to lead us into a time of prayer. The Holy Spirit's the best teacher. And I want Him to teach us these kingdom truths. Here's the first time of prayer right here. I want you to think about the mustard seed. And I want you to wrestle through a couple of things. Are you resting in the promise that the fullness of God's kingdom is coming one day? Do you really believe that? Ask him to encourage you with that promise and for perseverance and hope in the meantime. And also ask him to help you catch a glimpse of his kingdom work this week. For our second prayer time, I want you to think about the yeast. The story Jesus told. Just ask God. Show you one place where you can mix in this week. Ask him to lay it on your heart. Where does he want you to mix in? And take it one more step. Say, help me, Lord, to bring the good news and love of Jesus to someone specific. Put them on my heart. Put them in my path so that I can mix in.